Hello, good people, and welcome to Love and Grit. My name is Laia. I will serve as your guide through two highly anticipated conversations with a few of the dopest change makers in Philadelphia. Philly Printworks apparel and goods have been staples and a must-have for all those who walk with purpose. And now we add Target stores to that list. Yes, we will talk to its revolutionary owner, Miriam Pugh. Also, two of the city's most accomplished visionaries are joining forces to present our history. And that's just the beginning. I will be speaking to Taib Smith and Sam Katz. Okay, so in case you don't know, in Philadelphia, when it comes to revolutionary apparel that promotes social justice, Philadelphia Print Works is it. And has been it since its birth in 2010. The mission to foster a more just and equitable society by using fashion as a powerful tool for raising awareness and promoting social change. And yeah, with collections like Black Feminist Future, The Seeds the Soil Holds, The Afro Move, and March on Washington 60, well, yes, the mission continues to be accepted over and over again. However, now the mission is continuing in larger spaces like Target and on your favorite TV shows. The revolution may not be televised, but it will be featured thanks to Philadelphia Printworks founder, Miriam Pugh. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here and talk with you today. So let's talk. Let's talk about the impetus of this brand and what you wanted it to be. So Philadelphia Printworks, you gave this beautiful intro. Um, I've been doing this since 2010 and I'm showing my age when I say like that feels like yesterday, you know, because you say these things, but then in reality, like it's actually like 13 years ago. So a lot has happened since then, but really the whole reason I started it and I started it with my business partner at the time, Ruth Paloma Rivera Perez, was because we just wanted to have some kind of impact on our community. We wanted to start a small business that we thought could be artistic and be a creative outlet as well. And screen printing is very like tactile type of thing. So we just found that those three things together made it like the right match. And so we started Philadelphia Printworks. We taught ourselves how to screen print. And then Ruth ended up leaving about two years into the business, but I continued to do it since then. And every year after, it was just really about like doing better than we did the year before. There was no like grand plan to be anything, you know, beyond our initial mission, which was advocating voices from marginalized communities. Are you from Philly? So I'm not from Philly actually. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is I how mean, it goes. I, I have this whole theory yeah. about people who are implants who have such a larger passion for this town. But yes, talk about where you're from and how you came uh, to the well, city. Yeah, I'm actually from Coatesville, Pennsylvania, which is not that far. Yeah, like, yeah I know it's not that far, but I did live in Philly for 20 years. And that's why it's called Philadelphia Printworks. I ended up moving to Philly 20 years ago because I was fresh out of college. I went to an HBCU, Cheney University. Um, And the person who I ended up having a child with is from Philadelphia. So I moved to Philly because of that. Girl, you're from Philly. Those are the requirements of being. (laughs) Yeah, I've lived in, you know, Philly probably longer than I lived in Coatesville at this point in my life. Yes. So that's what brought me there. And just like the city itself and the people and the awesomeness of the creativity and the space for possibility is what kept me there. I love that. So what was the first big break for Philadelphia Printworks? When did you know, okay, we can do this? 
definitely gone through a lot of different iterations since I first started. It's looked a lot of different ways. I'm not traditionally trained as a business owner. I actually went to school for computer science. (laughs) So I was a software tester and this was kind of just a like side hustle type of situation. And then I realized like, oh, this is something I want to do full time. I am a creative person and I want to be able to be my full self at all times. And in Mm. the tech field, you know, you can imagine it's not super diverse. So being able to do this was great. And so I think it was 2015, maybe a couple years into it, I worked with an artist named Dante Neal on a collection called the School of Thought collection. And it was all these fictional universities like University of Baldwin, Garvey University, Harriet Tubman. Oh, you still have this? Still, yeah, still available on the website. It's definitely one of our core product offerings. And up until that, it was very much like, oh, I'm just making shirts for my friends, shirts for bands, you know, local bands and stuff like that. But once that hit, that kind of got a national recognition that we had never experienced before. And that's when people started reaching out to me, like, I saw your shirt in the subway and, you know, you know, in New York. And it just kind of like really took off from there. So that collection, that School of Thought collection was the one that yeah. popped off and just Definitely went all the places to the next. Yeah. Like I was getting interviewed for like MSNBC. There was so much press around it. It definitely took us to the next level. How do you stay focused on like your collections and making sure that they're still on task with the mission? Yeah, I don't know that there's one thing that makes that happen. It's probably just constant awareness and making sure that I'm double checking the work that I'm doing and how it aligns with the mission. So I think Mm -hmm. it's really easy as a small business owner to get distracted and Mm -hmm. to like think that you have to say yes to every opportunity. But after doing that for enough time, you'll realize like you'll get burned out doing that. So you have to really be specific about your intentions and then Mm. just have the willingness to say no to a lot of stuff. Because it seems like certain things are very much more intentional and more work in a sense of like licensing and whatnot. Your partnership that you're doing with the Afro. That one particular, I think it was like word of mouth, a friend or friend. So we've also done work with Black Star Film Festival. That's like Mm -hmm. one of our community partners. Once they saw us do the... 10 year anniversary collaboration with Black Star, then then that led to Afro Charities reaching out to us to do a commemorative collection for them. So it seems like that's like a theme in your story. I was reading the article in InStyle that you were talking about the placement because now Philadelphia Print Works can be seen on Queen Sugar, Black Lightning. Yeah, it, again, it really just all happened very organically. We had done a collaboration with someone named Theata Crystal way back when I first started. And that was a feminism collection. It was called the Lavender Collection. It had a whole bunch of feminist designs in it. And Theata's cousin ended up being a stylist for movies. That sounds so Philly. Right, right. Like that's one of the great things about Philly is that Mm -hmm. everybody is really trying to help each other out. So yeah, that again was just someone who was in a position to like do good for the community and then use their power in that position to do that. Okay, so that could not be the way that you maneuvered up into Target. Because let me just it tell really you, is. Miriam, <laughs> when I when I tell you organically, like the way that I found out that y'all, I'm, I get emotional, but I, I, I my eyes get watery. When I tell you that I was in a California Target, oh, that's and so like awesome. I got emotional when yeah. I saw like Philadelphia Pit, where I was like, what? Yeah. Like, and how did I not know this? Should I have known? Like, how right. long has this been happening? <laughs> 
but please tell us the story. Oh my God, I'm sorry. I appreciate that so much. Like yeah. that means a lot to me because it wasn't an easy decision to even be in Target. But I think that representation right mm-hmm. there, like we spend our money in Target, like we're constantly advocating for other communities. Once I made the announcement that it was in Target, the response was overwhelmingly positive. And a lot of the times people said, this feels like a win for us, you know, because it was, like you said, it's not just an apparel brand, it's a community, you know, and mm-hmm. everybody just, it kind of makes you feel good, like we're winning out here, and especially with the climate as it is right now. There and are so it, what wins. it did for Target, and also Target needs to know, and I've said this, I've done videos on Target with their future collective okay. lines and stuff like that when they're doing Black History Month, and I'm like, y'all need to understand what these brands are doing for Target. It's mm. making me love Target as a brand. It's making me believe that y'all are for real and not just surfacing, you know, doing things. Right. And I, right. I just needed that company to know that. Exactly. And that was the energy with which the collaboration was birthed. Again, one of these stories where we ended up kind of word of mouth organically getting placed in there. There was a buyer at the Schomburg Center in New York. (laughs) I know, like there's no rule book for this. There's no handbook for this. You just kind of try to do the work and then hope people respond to it. But the buyer, uh, Blue Moody, he ended up moving back to North Carolina and then taking on a role at Target. And I am so inspired by what he did. He basically worked his way up inside of Target just because he had access to the email chain and he realized like, hey, I can email, you know, head of design right now. There's nothing stopping me. So he did that. He established himself as an artist there and a creative. And then he started pulling in other small black owned businesses. So that's exactly how we got that call. And the idea from the beginning was we want to try to have representation 365, not just during Black History Month. So let's bring in these black owned businesses and make sure that the people who are shopping there in these particular 400 stores feel like the stuff reflects them. I acknowledge that I see what they're doing with that future collective thing. But then I also acknowledge that Philadelphia Printworks is not in that collective, which makes you even more mm-hmm. special and exclusive in that way because you just stand alone. Yeah, I learned so much about working with a big box retailer and what it means to be like mm. on these big shelves and licensing and just the whole process is different coming from a manufacturing background where we had our own print shop. But that's the whole idea is that they wanted us to stand alone as a brand and not just kind of be shuffled into their licensing or these moments that come and go. So it's really cool. And it's been interesting to see how it develops and how the target customer might not be the exact same customer as the PPW customer because we are mm-hmm. pretty political. But how do mm-hmm. we make those two things, you know, like how Which do I appreciate too, because I was like, yeah, I don't want Target to have all of y'all stuff. I need this right. move stuff to stay where it is. You know, exactly. I'm just... Exactly. No, you're right. And yeah. for us, so... we had to start having conversations around what does it mean to gatekeep certain things? Like we know that they are a business and at the end of the day, they care about profits. And we saw kind of what happened with certain collaborations they had with marginalized communities ahead of our launch. Ours was already a year in the making. So we were kind of in a position to see this happen. Sometimes allies pick and choose when to be allies. And so you have to be careful about what you share and what you don't share. Whoever's listening, that was just school. That was class. <laughs> I need you to rewind what she said, especially my people of color, entrepreneurs out there. Like that was a lesson. Miriam, what is Philadelphia Print Works doing that you're proud of that we don't see? That's a great question. 
I feel like I just came out of doing something that I was super proud of and was very much so the purpose of my work. And it kind of ties into what you were talking about with how do you stop yourself from getting distracted from your mission? And my mission is actually to amplify marginalized voices. But in doing so, I had built a team and a print shop that echoed those values. And I was really, really proud about that team that I had built and just making sure that this fair pay and human-centered approach to having employees was something that I put at the front of everything that I did. So it was not easy to be like this socially responsible and sustainable business. You see there's people striking right now. You know, unions mm. across the country are striking for fair wages. Huh. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, so all that's related. And I was really proud of what we had built. Unfortunately, I had to shut down the print shop in November. And I just kind of mm. had to wrap my mind around the fact that that doesn't mean that it wasn't good when it existed. You know, some things have a start and some things have a finish. And that was one chapter of Philadelphia Printworks. And now we're having to be agile and pivot to all. Oh, so I see what you're saying. So basically you're saying Philadelphia Printworks used to actually physically print out their stuff. And now you're in a position where you, that is now doled out to some other business. Okay. Yeah. So we kind of had like a workshop. Another thing that people might not know, we used to handle fulfillment and manufacturing for a whole bunch of small businesses. We did Uncle Bobby's. We used to do WURD, radio. National is like, well, Red Black Girl. It was nice to be able to provide that service to nonprofits who aren't necessarily focused on fundraising. They're more focused on doing the work. And we were able to kind of step in and do that. Do you ever think you'll circle back to it at some point? Or that was just a chapter in the, business and the bit is fine if it was i mean we have chapters yeah yeah i think it's just a chapter i think that sometimes as a small business owner you're you buy into this idea that you have to grow at any cost and i just realized that i'm kind of more in it for the creativity side of it and i don't want to have to create at a pace that feels inorganic Mm -hmm. and that ended up being what i had to do in order to maintain what we had built and so i probably won't do that again but i love printing period so i will have my own personal print shop and i could see doing something from an educational side like doing printing workshops yeah i was wondering what's going to be next for you Like, what do you, what's the the next chapter for Philadelphia Printworks? This has evolved and changed over the years. I always wanted to kind of be a resource, you know, like a public utility. And so trying to figure out how we fit in with different organizations, being really active community partners to different local and national organizations. They have these like libraries where you can go. And so they have like tool libraries, they have music libraries, like physical places you can go and take out a loan of a tool. I thought it could be cool to have like a space like that for protests because sometimes people don't know how to get started with that kind of thing. I got all the ideas, okay? Okay, (laughs) yeah. a pop-up, a mobile printing unit and going from you know, neighborhood For to neighborhood, teaching people I'm, how to I'm still in the protest thing. I'm like, yes, signs. I'm already just having like <laughs> yeah. the signs and the sticks and the, oh God. Yeah, like we did signs for the Philadelphia Black Women's March, uh, the Philly Trans March. So just figuring out how we can plug in and use the resources that we have available to us and focus on community because I think that's just the most important thing right now. Anything you want to tell the folks before you go, where to follow you or where to just stay in touch and keep in touch. Yeah, sure. Thank you again for the opportunity to talk today. We're on all the platforms. Our website is philadelphiaprintworks.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, threads, TikTok, all at philaprint. So that's P-H-I-L-A-P-R-I-N-T. I hope you'll join the movement.
Miriam, let me ask you, when it comes to Philadelphia, what does love and grit mean to you? I think this is the perfect name for the show and for Philadelphia because you do need both of them to really understand Philadelphia. For me, it means how authentic people in Philadelphia are, Philadelphians are. It means that they're honest with you and that they are kind to you. They may not be nice, but they are definitely kind. People typically are who they say they are. A lot of show improve in Philadelphia, but there's also a lot of space for opportunity. My name is Nika Johnson. Check me and all black everything out on Love and Grit because I am Philly. I have to admit that writing the introduction for my next two guests was a bit of a challenge. Philly's own type, Smith's importance and contributions to this city cross all genres. Like seriously, from music and media, love to Lil Giant and 215 Magazine, to entrepreneurship, you know, like being the co-founder of Pipeline Philadelphia, and lanes that extend community service into community elevation, like that Institute of Hip Hop Entrepreneurship. His new friend and partner, Sam Katz, also born and raised in Philly, makes my job no easier by having to explain his contributions in the public and project finance world, including the financing for the Wells Fargo Center. Oh, and let's not forget, he ran for mayor. And now he's an Emmy award-winning film producer. So the thought of these two bringing their superpowers together to pay homage to the profound black history of an area of Philadelphia where most would not think of the historic connection has my mind, and I hope yours, eagerly open to all things these two have to say. I just want to jump into the conversation because I am so curious about the beginnings of this relationship of such significant fellows to this grand city. From my recollection, I think the first time I met Sam was at his office when he had one on Locust Street when I was working on 215 Magazine. I was working inside the library company of Philadelphia and Taib's partner was the son of a friend of ours was given a copy of the magazine. And I said, God, I got to read this. Of course, I couldn't read it. It was so small. <laughs> but I wanted to meet the guy who was doing it. And that's when I, how long ago was that? That's like 2007 or eight, maybe. So Taib's at 215. Where did, what's going on in your life, Sam? Because y'all both have amazing chapters. Yeah, I think I just started working on this idea of documenting the history of Philadelphia in 2007. And it didn't really get going in 2008, 2009. And I didn't have any contact with you again, I don't think, until 2017 or 18. So, Laia, this is a great intersection Mm because one of the reasons I really value my friendship with Sam is because I think we would both be defined as business people. But there are not that many people who are as civically engaged as Sam. Nobody tells jokes about running for mayor better than him. Uh, I was waiting for this part. Yes, yes. But particularly over the last few years, getting a better sense of each other, collaborating on projects, talking about the city of Philadelphia contemporarily, historically. I think we share a common bond and love and frustration for Mm. the city of Philadelphia, both contemporary and historically. And just like a family member or a loved one, loving Philadelphia can be a complicated journey. And I think we are both, even though we're probably almost 20, 23 years age difference, we share a common era of a certain Philadelphia that we attempt to capture or highlight or revisit. What era is that? Pleistine era. (laughs) 
I, I think that it's the era which we both wish we actually experienced, but we both think we experienced, which was when people paid a lot of attention to what we said mm-hmm. and things were happening. And I would say that the relationship has an extraordinary depth to it because I think we can say whatever we want to say. Recently, we had a conversation about Israel that we do not agree about. Taib told me about others who he was close to who no longer want to talk to him. I mean, you, you really have to go to a great length to blow up a relationship with me over disagreements, as long as the disagreements are civil and respectful. I'm used to people doing 30-second TV ads to destroy me, so <laughs> a little disagreement on a Zoom call isn't going to cause me to blow up. Yeah. But also, we have a lot in common. We're doing a lot of things together. We help each other. Maybe I have a little more seniority, so I have a certain amount of age-derived wisdom. I know the city's mechanisms, its way of doing things really well, sadly. And Taib is experiencing them maybe for the third time, I've maybe for the 30th time. Plus, we're trying to advance common interests, the history of the city, better government, more informed citizenry, cooperation, collaboration, and civic-mindedness. This is where what blows my mind because I'm a huge fan of Philadelphia, like Sam. So you don't know, but I'm I'm not born and raised in Philadelphia. I came to Philadelphia straight out of college and fell in love. And I always say Philadelphia is the city that bred me because my whole career was built in this town. And knowing that, I also know that it is so much history in this town, both beautiful and otherwise. I'm so curious how you guys narrowed it down to this project to the seventh ward. Over the course of the last decade, I've been fortunate enough to explore a handful of books that really spoke to me. And all of them kept coming back to the Seventh Ward. When I was dating my wife, I lived in Fiddler Square and she lived in Queens Village. And on my walk between those two places, the little blue signs didn't speak to the depth of the history. Right. So ironically, now years later, we're married. I live in the Seventh Ward and on the very block I live, Next door is Zion and Amy Church, which is like one of the oldest Black institutions in the country. 15-minute walk from Richard Allen's church, the first Amy in the world. First hospital for people of color above the Mason-Dixon line was on the very same block that I live on. When I would walk by Tinley Temple and you see the little blue sign, it doesn't give the contextualization of all the history there. So that's when I first started imagining, how do you do something that brings life to this unique piece of land in North America, where there's all these different ways that we pay homage to history through a Eurocentric perspective, but don't talk about the genuinely unique African-American history that exists in Philadelphia, all right? So, I would say the Seventh Ward project is almost like a different vignette to a previous project that I worked on that was called The Dream Deferred that explored the history of redlining in the city. And where Sam has been really helpful is he's also created a nonprofit that is bringing together history organizations throughout the history ecosystem in Philadelphia to have a more contemporary relationship with audience or storytelling, convening, fundraising. So that's where we kind of intersect because there's a continuum of bringing collaboration or other partners or in dialogue about how do we keep history alive. And as a piece of the Seventh Ward project, Sam is producing an audio tour. Full soundscape, Sam? Well, the, the first four episodes of the audio tour are among 24 locations and six or seven people on a list that the Seventh Ward Tribute has put together on a map. 
And I think we did the W.E.B. Du Bois mural on the fire station on South Street, St. Peter Claver Church at 13th and Lombard, Mother Bethel, and the Institute for Colored Youth. And the way we were able to do those is that we had already, history-making productions had interviewed more than 500, 600 people over the course of the last 15 years. We have transcripts of every interview, and I knew we had talked to people about all those places. For me, the sort of entry into African-American history in Philadelphia was the first episode of our series, Philadelphia, The Great Experiment, which was not very good in retrospect, but because it was our first. But, you know, I wanted to pick 1876 and not 1776 as a starting point for us. And in the course of that, I was told about this assassination on Election Day. I ran in 2003, and there was a group of very angry labor folks who harassed and beat up election day workers for my campaign. And I read the story of how the ward leader of the Democratic Ward in South Philadelphia, Moya Mensing, had unleashed his gang, uh, the fire station, the Moya Mensing Post Company, on African-American voters who were voting in a mayoral election in 1870 for the first time. Only men, of course. And in order to turn down that vote, which was going to vote Republican because of Lincoln, he dispatched his gang they murdered six African-Americans, including Octavius Caddo, who I'd never heard of. I had heard of the O.V. Caddo Elementary School, which when I was a kid, you were sent to if you were bad. What? Uh, yeah, it was a school for waywards. <laughs> anyway, so we did this pilot episode, which included the murder of Caddo. And I remember watching, I wasn't good enough to really produce it. I was just raising the money that when in our reenactment scene, when Cato was shot, all the people around him leaned in to see how he was doing. I'm thinking to myself, did they do that in the 19th century or did they run away from guns? Mm -hmm. In any case, it opened my eyes to something that I realized that I had to learn, which is I knew nothing about this. I knew nothing about African-American history in Philadelphia. I think most people know nothing about Philadelphia history once they get past the Liberty Bell. That really I've always started. thought it was interesting to watch a person who was other than Black realize that moment of not knowing when they've learned so much history in the moment of like, oh, I guess there were no Blacks in that story. Yeah. And I've seen, of course, I'm much more aware of it today mm -hmm. than I was then. And I see it everywhere. Also, I just want to mention something. Sam and I went to the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama in March and I know how much his understanding of history in general and African-American history has grown since he created history-making productions. But there's this one room when you're coming towards the end of the exhibit. It's almost like a hall of fame of faces. And there's a, a digital way where you can look into each face within the room. And I think Sam definitely had a better understanding of the number of Philadelphians who were Black in that room than I did because of, of his depth of research. Like I would know the the Paul Robeson, the Octavius Cato, but even when we went out, I think he mentioned like 14 different people. And it made me think, oh, like, oh yeah, I've read about that person. I know about that person. But it's not as deeply embedded in 
our curriculums, our history, our films, our theater, our storytelling as it should be. That's why I was in the original question about asking you guys how you decided to start here, because I know that you're exposed to so much information, research and all these things that it could go anywhere. I almost want to ask you what's next, but I want to stick into the seventh war project for a second because we really haven't gone into it like like we should. I just want to make sure that everybody's understands that this is an experience and what this goes towards. Is this going to the preservation of this area and the things that they'll see on this tour? Mm, it's a really comprehensive project and I, I encourage everyone to go to seventhwardtribute.com. Mm. The project is called Legacy Reclaim. We have three women artists who are primarily involved as well as the Colored Girls Museum. The Colored Girls Museum has a pop-up and kind of sitting area at Mother Bethel Church. Every Saturday at 11 a.m., Amy Hillier has curated a walking tour. Amy Hillier is like one of the preeminent experts on W.D. Bois in the Seventh Ward at University of Pennsylvania. For the win, you both have said this, Du Bois, because we have had this debate, Du Bois versus Du Bois. And I just wanted to hear y'all both said Du Bois. Okay, it's going to be, that's what it's going to be. Go ahead. So when people take the walking tour, they get a deep dive into about an hour and a half walking tour about the history of the neighborhood. In addition, there is public art in the windows of homes and businesses that pay homage to many of the people who lived in the seventh ward in the 20th century. Additionally, we have a gallery within Rex at the Royal on South Street that has images from the Philadelphia Archives and the Philadelphia Public Library of people who lived in the seventh ward. And then there's another artist named Lee Sumter who has a piece called The Time Bandit, which is like an Afrofuturist perspective on the, yes. se- on the seventh ward. I should pause and say, what's amazing about this project, one, it came from my love of history, from my love of books. But I would say as a creative rabble rouser, we've been able to bring in a suite of brilliant organizations and people. So the Mural Hearts is taking the curriculum that Amy Hillier has kind of co-collaborated to create to make a evergreen curriculum they can use when they do partnerships with schools and tours so that that history is lifted up. Monument Lab is a promotional partner. The City Archives is a partner. We got the funding to do this from the Pew Arts and Heritage. Mayor's Fund is our fiscal sponsor. History Making Productions has assisted us with creating the audio tour. So I feel privileged that we've been able to get so many different people to think and focus and think beyond even maybe the six months of this activation on how we can continue to lift up this history. So the relationship between Katz and Smith here has a much deeper root in the formation of this organization, the Histories Collaborative of Philadelphia. You'll recall in 2018 when Philadelphia withdrew its financial support for the City History Museum and it closed. There were some other things going on in the history world at the time in Philadelphia, and there was a general sense that as a community, the teaching of exhibiting, collecting, and conserving history in Philadelphia had fallen on severely hard times. So another guy and I got the group of people together and started a conversation, and soon we all realized that we were talking to the same people who had been stewards of the problem. And then we were encouraged to involve more voices. And so we reached out to a lot of people, and Taib was one of them. And then we're dealing with all of these conversations as some severe history is being made. A series of police killings that led to the summer of uprising, COVID, elections, insurrections, all of these things 
created raw nerves. And we seemed as a group to organize all of our meetings right in the center of each one of these maelstroms. And Taib was not bashful in expressing his <laughs> point of view. It might come as a shock to you. Surprise, you yeah, know. Uh, more than a few people were quite uncomfortable in those conversations. A lot of them just didn't want to hear what others had to say. He encouraged us to find other people of different points of view and from different communities. And I would say that over time, what happened was we really built a very diverse reflection of Philadelphia. And we formally created the Histories Collaborative of Philadelphia. And it's really important, and I think Taib deserves the credit for this, that it's not called the History Collaborative. It's the Histories Collaborative. It seems like a small thing. I think it's a big thing. Yes. So we have three projects we're launching. One is a study of the history industry and a assessment of how we might be more collaborative. That's a little business-oriented. The second thing is the creation of Philadelphia Histories Month. And we reached out to the school district as a first starting point to see if we could get them as a partner. And as of course, Tony Watlington, the new superintendent prior to his administrative career, a history teacher. So the school district was enthusiastic. Then we went to the archdiocesan schools, the charter schools, the friends schools, and the independent schools, and all of them were on board. Then the tourism community was yesterday, they're on board. And of course, the history organizations and hope is to have Mayor Parker announce the beginnings of an in perpetuity celebration in April and every year thereafter of Philadelphia Histories Month. And the other project that I'm trying to push along is is a digital histories museum. Instead of having a physical museum, it would be a digital museum that could be co-curated by professionals as well as by community interests. It's a little more complicated and in a lot of ways above my pay grade. But Taib and I are working on all manners of things together. We have a really good board, busy board, not one that's got a lot of free time, but it does represent a really good cross-section of Philadelphia. And just to, to speak on that history. Please museum, take this. Go ahead, Taib. Lay it in the probably 25 years, I'd say approximately I've known you, mm-hmm. when you came to Philadelphia and there was an ecosystem of people who kind of change Black contemporary music or even some aspects of aesthetics, visual aesthetics Mm -hmm. of contemporary Black America. There is no archive of that time. You can assemble it, but if you go from like, what was footwork? What was the five spot? What was the earlier rendition of what became neighborhoods that, that no longer look like what they were? Yeah, It's ephemeral. You and I could discuss it. We could point to albums or we could point to projects, but it would be very hard to send someone down a research possibility to say, like, who were the artists? Who were the poets who kind of created this whole movement? I should just add that back in the 70s, I became friends with Reverend Bill Gray from Bright Hope Baptist Church. We played basketball together. And when he ran for Congress in 1976 for the first time against Robert N.C. Nix, I was his campaign manager. So... I always traveled around with him and I would walk out and be, he was, Rev, who's that white guy with you? <laughs> so I got into all the churches. I met all the ministers. I knew everybody in African-American politics. You know, I worked with George Burrell and Gussie Clark and Marion Tasco. I was the campaign manager. It seems like between the two of you, the resources and, and whatnot, there's a lot on your plate. What Taib just said was a different arm of what you're doing than what Sam, you just broke down as well. And you answered the question, of course, of what's coming up next for you guys. I guess my question is, as a community, what do you need from us? 
How can we help? I can say from my own personal experience, because I'm not an academic, I'm not a historian, I'm not an artist, but I've been able to work in spaces with almost a um, an entrepreneur's perspective, right? So mm-hmm. entrepreneurs tend to have to go make their own hacks or break rules in order to you know, get something done. I think from where I started imagining things like the Seventh Ward Project, I almost didn't even know how complicated it is to do public art or how complicated it is to create the strategic partnerships and the bonds to get things done. All right. So I think what we need is a robust collaboration across bureaucracy, politics, philanthropy, and civic engagement. So that people are more invested in creating a more civically and socially cohesive city. So you just need us to be engaged as citizens. It sounds I think, like I, just I think, be a hundred percent in it. I mean, I mean, if you if you look at both of our careers and and even how most of the things we get involved in, they don't begin with a transactional relationship with mm-hmm. making money or revenue or creating opportunity. It's kind of like going on a journey with purpose and then figuring out how to bring in those other resources. So just as Sam has brought together a rich network of established history organizations, we now need to get more people to hold the rope, whether that's civic, public, educational, community. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that Taib said to me has never left me, and I think about it all the time, is how attuned I am because of the way I was raised and how I was raised and where I was raised to expect to be successful. And that that's not a feeling widely shared outside of white privileged uh, communities. So to me, the engagement of Philadelphians into a movement that moves the city forward, that solves a problem, whatever it is, we need to celebrate something that we can be successful at and that that success can be shared. That's really hard. History and storytelling is a way to do that without inflicting politics on people. Because by opening up the book so that everyone can tell their story, their histories, you create something and, and then celebrating it at least once a year, once for a month. So exciting. Um, and having a place to put it, like Taib used the word archive. And if you can upload your family's letters, you scan them, or your family's photos, or the story of your church, or the story yes. of your firehouse. It gives the city or, more history and understanding, literally, and, the, the complexities of our history. And it's my history, not not it, just it the history, history you decided I should yeah. know, That's but true. my history. That's true. And I hope that we can persuade the new mayor that by gathering people around history, we're creating a unifying vehicle for Philadelphians. I mean, we um, will have a Histories Month come April 2022. Four, like that's what it I is. I believe we will, but it, okay. it won't be as good as the one we have in April of the 2034 because it'll of be course. a start. Of course. Be a, you know. of course. It's so funny you say that because Dave, that just reminds me of like Black Music Month of yesteryear and how people don't even associate the history of Black Music Month to Philadelphia history because mm-hmm. that was created mm-hmm. by Philadelphians. Like, oh, just so much history. I just have to mention there's a picture of Deanna Williams sitting. I think it's on the White House lawn, but it is. she's sitting at a table and Jimmy Carter is sitting it's on the ground on, yeah. on the grass. Dad took that picture. Who did? Your dad? Took my dad. Picture. My dad took that picture. Yes. 
Her dad's a very accomplished photographer. (laughs) First time I saw a picture was like five years ago. Even if you think about politics five years ago, seeing that picture was so powerful for me. Because, you know, I know, like, I know, no, Deanna. And seeing her sitting with the president at the lawn, it was just a transformative experience for me. With his whole family, like, just whole family just sitting on the ground while all of Black folks are sitting in the chairs. It was, it was something to see. Yeah. Yeah. Taid, Love and Grit is always at your disposal. Sam, you are family now, too. It is always at your disposal. And I I just want to say to you, Taid, out loud, a lot of times, a lot of us who know you, we feel safer because we do know that you're in these rooms that Sam is talking about. And you are having these conversations that are hard. And you are this beautiful rabble rouser with all of these beautiful words. So I just I want to thank you over and over and over again. And again, I am here for whatever y'all are doing. I appreciate you. On the streets, like dirty, whatever you you need. Thank you. Well, thank yes. you for uh, being a part of your family is accepted. Thank you. Thank you for being in a family. Yeah.